take two of these, call me in the morning. <laughs> so that was the line my wife walked in on, and she goes, oh, no. <laughs> we have to go back. Welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And I'm Batman. And Robin. I guess Robin doesn't have his thing. Anyway, today you are in for a treat because we are reviewing the 1997 movie Batman and Robin with a special guest, Russell Guest of the Retro Movie Roundtable Podcast. Welcome, Russell. Yay. Hey, hey, Ricky. Hey, Grayson. It's great to be here. I am a fan of your show. You guys are like the veteran pros of what we do. <laughs> wow. I appreciate it. I've wow. never been called a veteran in anything. So, I've never uh, been called a yeah, pro in you. anything. This is great. Oh, yeah. That, <laughs> that, that's the better joke. There you go. Uh, well, thank you. And, uh, and so uh, Frozen is coming out in theaters, and we were mm-hmm. looking up mm-hmm. ice movies and Mr. Freeze says 27 ice puns in Batman and Robin, and we have selected movies on thinner premises. Oh, yeah, for sure. So it just seemed like an easy call. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, I'll be honest, I, this is the second week in the row where, I, where I've done this. I started watching this movie and then realized how little I remembered from Batman Forever. Oh, yeah. And so I paused it, went back and watched <laughs> Batman Forever, and then... Watch this because it's really more of like a part two of Batman Forever in a lot of ways, just because of uh, Chris O'Donnell. Yeah, but that's where I came from. So last week I had to watch both Charlie's Angels. This week I watched both Schumacher Batman's, and uh, yeah, what what a ride! You're on a streak, man. I really am. I don't know where I find the time. Yeah, and so uh, let's go ahead and go into a little bit of history on this movie. So this is the fourth and the uh, and final movie in the original Batman franchise, starting with the Tim Burton Batman in 1989, uh, then followed by Batman Forever. No, sorry. Then followed by um, Batman Returns, followed by Batman forever and then this one batman and robin which i always get confused by the movies because i feel like they should have swapped titles because they introduced robin in batman forever and they introduced Mm -hmm. batgirl in batman and robin would you prefer the title batman and robin and batgirl (laughs) i would i think any movie with a double ampersand (laughs) actually i want batman ampersand robin plus Batgirl, uh, a la Romeo plus Juliet. Yes. I think that would really... <laughs> we need more titles like Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Yes. We need yes, two please. of these in one title. Mm-hmm. I want you to cram that thing with prepositions yeah. and just you know stack it up. I would have preferred uh, Batman yeah. and Robin, therefore Batgirl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. The, the, the chemistry symbol for yield. Yes. Uh, Batman yields Robin. Yeah, because I have a box set of all these. And so the four of them together, just for ease of reference, the box set calls it the Batman Legacy, which I feel like is a pretty accurate you know, name for it compared to the Dark Knight trilogy and then what, the DCEU that we have now. So, uh, yeah, this was the last in the Batman Legacy, uh, even though Schumacher, re- he really wanted one more shot at this to more. go back and do year one. He's like, let me do the gritty version. But obviously we know how that played out. So, uh, yeah, this this uh, this movie is interesting in the way that it kind of ends this series, uh, because to Clooney's own admission, he said, I think we just killed the franchise. Um, and 
we have a saying on this podcast that every movie is a miracle and I, and there are rough spots about this movie. I think it's got like a three point nothing on IMDb. Oh. I like it's very poorly rated. Um, but it's, um, I, I, I think we're going to pan for gold in this. We're going to just, you know, dip it in the river and, uh, and see what comes out. Oh, is that how you pan for gold? Uh, yeah, when I was a kid and we were panning for gold, that's that's what we did. And you yeah. found VHS copies of that. <laughs> like, oh, uh-huh. people keep yeah. throwing this in the river. Uh, <laughs> this is gold. So uh, this movie was brought about after the success of uh, Batman Forever. They immediately commissioned uh, Schumacher to make another movie. And so they commissioned. Did. <laughs> uh, and so they uh, uh, Val Kilmer decided to not come back. And so they got then famously known TV actor and heartthrob doctor George Clooney uh, to uh, don the cape and cowl. And um, and so then we got this version of uh, Batman and Robin. And um, it... How could it, it miss? Right? How could it... It had so many yeah. celebrities. It had top billing uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, that one girl from, I don't know, that movie Pulp Fiction, Uma Thurman... Uh, in the movie, which and and for both Clooney and uh, Thurman, this was their first uh, big blockbuster uh, Hollywood movie. It was uh, it made them kind of stars um, at this time. And um, Alicia Silverstone, of course, from Clueless fame—at least that's how I remember her. Uh, and originally, the movie did not do well domestically, but worldwide, it actually did pretty pretty good uh, with a budget. Of a hundred and sixty million dollars, it made a worldwide box office of two hundred and thirty-eight million dollars. Um, but domestically, it only did a hundred million, which called it not a success. And critics just destroyed this movie. And depending on who you ask, um, or when you ask them, George Clooney also didn't like the movie. Um, so it's rumored that at various times, if you met George Clooney and tell him that you saw the film he would reach into his wallet and actually give you your money back that's wow. that's what the legend goes um, but now he just gives you an espresso packet <laughs> there you go <laughs> but then later in his career he is noted for saying that this movie provided him the job security to basically make whatever movie he wants um, mm-hmm. And so he looks at it that way. And Arnold Schwarzenegger looks back at this movie fondly. He is uh, noted saying, uh, it's always easy to be smug in hindsight uh, when the yeah. movie turns out to be worse than expected, um, which sounds so different um, coming from Arnold Schwarzenegger and saying that uh, in a not terrible Arnold Schwarzenegger impression. Um, but he uh, had that speech rehearsed from Jingle all the way, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did. Just pull that card out. Okay, to, let's, you know. let's just keep this in my pocket. So I always have it on me. Uh, but this movie, more notably, even wider than um, its impact, um, actually um, is known for kind of being a genre killer for the superhero movie. Um, after this, the not success of this movie and the failure of Steel, which you have also reviewed on this podcast, uh, DC didn't make another live-action movie for seven years. Uh, and in that time, Blade, X-Men, the Spider-Man movies, they have all kind of had like a somewhat darker tone um, and had a lot of success. 
Uh, then DC threw the hat back into the ring uh, with Catwoman, and we all know how that went. So that's another another subject for another podcast. But that concludes the uh, brief history of the Batman and Robin legacy, um, mm-hmm. historically of how it happened. Uh, but now we're going to go into our history, our our, our personal connections to this movie. Yeah, it's interesting because seeing how long this this franchise went on between the four movies, um, it it almost seems like the problem is that we got tired of the type of genre that this movie was presented in. Whereas if it had been if this had been a late '80s film, I think it would have done much better. Um, it's just we had seen so much of the same type by that time. Um, because if you look at Batman and Robin compared to the first Batman, it's not, I mean, yes, there are a lot of ice puns and and whatnot and things that just kind of make you go, huh? Like, like a Batman credit card. How does, how does that work? How how does, what's the credit line on that? How is it good till forever? That's my question. Forever. Because it's privately funded, I I guess. But that kind of thing, like when you look back at the source material, it's not that far off. It's just, I think audiences evolved out of it, even when going back and watching Batman Forever and Batman makes the the line of like, holy rusted metal, Batman. And he goes, what? And he's like, it, there's holes in this rusted metal. It's, it's holy. Like, they knew what they were, like, they, they, they were paying homage in a lot of ways. And I think audiences just outgrew that after, you know, over a decade of, of this kind of material. So, um, yeah, I... I I think part of the problem was when it was released, but as a kid, and I I talked about this when we did Phantom Menace, as a kid, I loved this movie. Mm -hmm. This hit me right at the perfect, like, age strike zone. Um, I know Schumacher said some stuff about, like, he was forced into, like, the merchandising side of it with the toys and all that, which, tell you what, the strategy worked, because I had, like... (laughs) all the toys to the Batman legacy franchise and Batman and Robin is, is no exception. Like I, I had all of the vehicles and the action figures and would watch this movie on repeat. And I mean, I feel like I was the target demographic and I don't know. I've watched it a few times since then, but closer to like the original viewing, it's probably been a good, decade since I have seen this movie. So I was watching it through a very different lens this time. Um, and a lot of it was built on that understanding of source material. Like it's the campiness, they're leaning into the campiness and that was a choice they made. Um, and it's definitely the first time I have watched it post Dark Knight trilogy, uh, yeah. which I think just doesn't do any of the your past Batman movies, any kind of favors because you're like, yeah, what if it was like more realistic? This is not realistic. This is where you get pushed in a hole with plants and you come out as Jessica rabbit. Like that is the world we're living in. Um, and so accepting that made me uh, you know, much more uh, receptive to it, much more than the, the, the 3.7 that it earned on IMDb. Like to me, this is, uh, this is the end of a journey. And I think also the benefit of knowing this was the last one, they didn't know this was the last one. So just being like, okay, appreciating the aspects we have of this that we don't have in any other Batman film. We don't really have a solid Mr. Freeze 
or uh, or Poison Ivy in another film. We get them in Gotham, but we get everyone in Gotham. But with with this movie being like, oh, okay, we're not really going to experience these characters again. Or, or Batgirl. Like, this is the only film interpretation of Batgirl uh, in a live-action film. You have it in the Lego movie, but like as far as a live-action casting... It's slim pickings. So I enjoyed it. I, I had a really fun time rewatching it, especially as a part two to Batman Forever. Uh, and I think in that way, it kind of made like the first two movies in the Batman Legacy with Burton, like like sub volumes <laughs> of the Batman Legacy. And this, this is like a whole second act. So, uh, yeah, I had a great time. A great time rewatching it. Do you think that uh, the Batgirl, that the fact no one else has touched her, is partially due to the bad perceptions that came from this movie, though? Like, did it? Do I a think disservice? there's probably yeah. I think there's probably a lot of baggage with it, um, bat especially baggage. since bat baggage uh, with it, especially since uh, I know the press around this movie was super ugly. Um, it, one of the problems when shooting this was there was supposed to be a lot more Batgirl uh, incorporation and in, in, in scenes shot, but there was some issues with the suit and uh, Alicia Silverstone, uh, I guess, was going through some like weight fluctuations during the time and the press just like ripped her apart for it. Because it was the 90s and everybody had to be skinny. Everyone had to be skinny in the 90s. I, and, but I do think that kind of just ugliness around how it was treated. I wish there was so much more Batgirl in this movie. Um, just to kind of balance it out, especially since we got so much Robin in Batman Forever. Like, I felt like we covered a lot of the Robin stuff you know, in, in a previous movie. So, yeah, exploring more Batgirl would be would be preferred. That's a good point, though, with the baggage. That's possible why, like, Poison Ivy and Mr. Freeze haven't really been explored since then. Even Robin's well. been absent from the DC Extended Universe and the Dark Knight trilogy, other than Joseph and Gordon-Levitt, give me that Nightwing movie, please. <laughs> yeah, I love it. But yeah, you're right. Like, just I'm looking at the poster here. Of the five characters on the poster, Batman's really the only one that we've constantly gone back to, and all the others got phased out. So, uh, yeah, I think there was a lot of baggage from this that, I don't know, maybe it's a superstitious thing where they're like, it's unlucky to cast these characters. I don't know. Absolutely. As for me, when I watched this, I was so excited going in. My level of anticipation was super high. I loved the 1989 Batman movie. It is one of my first movie theater memories. I remember being four years old and like being in the movie theater with my parents, like sitting there putting on my utility belt as he's putting on his uh, utility belt and just like yes. ready to go for the ride. I love the Adam West movie or uh -huh. TV show. And so when the Burton Batman came out, I was just like on cloud nine. And so <laughs> I love the animated series and I was excited. I loved Mr. Freeze. And I was so excited for this. I mean, I was I was going to Taco Bell ahead of the time to collect all the little pieces and stuff like that. Again, my my head was up in the clouds. And when I when I saw this, my first takeaway was like, why did we get a different Batman? Because honestly, at the time, I, Clooney Clooney wasn't uh, striking me as. Uh, I remember asking my parents like, why do like why what, who's this Batman? <laughs> um, and uh, but the other thing was I had a pretty good time at the at the time and it wasn't until I remember getting it on VHS and watching it again going like this one's not up to the other ones and then as I've gotten older I've watched it as part of being part of the set like you guys or like you said Grace and that I had it as part of the set and it wasn't really until I got to college that I started hearing like how terrible this movie was to people right. and like some suddenly like the legend continued to grow that this was this was one of the greatest film abominations ever ever committed so it was one of those things where um 
I, and when you go back and watch all the things on it, like it, people pan it, and it's amazing how uh, a lot of the criticisms that you mention are there in Batman Forever. But that movie works mm. because Jim Carrey is taking it, dialing it up to ten, and it's funny enough. And there's still a foot in what Burton had done. You know, Gotham City aesthetically changes immensely from Batman Forever to Batman and Robin. And so yeah. I think it was just going just a little bit too far to the point where maybe they should have just gone ahead and said, bam, piff, bow, and and <laughs> right, uh, yeah. gone all the way, like full out Lego movie it. So Because yeah. uh-huh. people like that. Right. Yeah. 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 You're right. People will not really criticize Batman Forever the same way. And uh, I think part of that is out of fear that Tommy Lee Jones will come to their house and break their knees because yeah. he's a very scary human. That's fair. Uh, yeah, that yeah. is a constant fear I have. People make fun of like uh, the crotch shot and the butt shots of suiting up. That's all at the beginning of Batman Forever. People it like is. criticize yeah. the nipples on the suit. That's in mm-hmm. Batman Forever. Maybe they're like not as pronounced, but they're they're, they're nipples there. They're there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The things that people, yeah, like you said, they knock on Batman and Robin, but they were present in Batman Forever. And I mean, Schumacher built the movies to kind of like George Lucas, they, they echo, <laughs> they're, they're, they're echoes uh, where, yeah, it opens the same way. It closes the same way, running away from the bat signal with like the new team together. Um, they are, that's why I watched them together very much cut from the same cloth. Um, and yeah, the, the presence of the bat nips, I was like, was that, I couldn't remember that's part of why I had to rewatch Batman Forever. I was like, were they introduced here? Or was it also in Batman Forever? No, it's consistent. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right. It is just some of that, uh, the, the comic book aesthetic was halfway, like one foot in, one foot out, and maybe transitioning from the, the darker uh, previous films. It didn't really make the jump as much. I think taking this compared to some of the more recent installments we've had to where it's like, way way super gritty but also still comic like i'm thinking of jared leto's joker like it's it's almost like makes your stomach turn in a way of like he's so violent and vile i was like you know what i could i could probably watch a lot more this than um than the the newer interpretations just because that's what i grew up with like that's kind of what i'm accustomed to it was a transition that's the problem it was a transition to nothing they didn't have they didn't have like a fifth film to be like oh i understand what this was it's like when you're trying to grow your hair out and it's just in that weird in-between stage people like what's with your hair like i'm growing it long like this this was uh it just wasn't long enough uh nor short enough yeah Oh, that's very well said. I watched this movie apparently more times than I even remembered because I'm like, wait, I remember all of this except for I don't think I knew it was a different actor playing Batman. I don't oh, really? think I really? ever knew until like way later. I was like, oh, wait, it wasn't all just the same guy. Like I I would I'd be willing to wager that I thought it was still Michael Keaton. Just over. Um Maybe I don't know. I just so you just skipped over Val Kilmer altogether. I, I same with Val Kilmer. I don't think I thought that Val Kilmer. Anyway, as a kid, how could you forget his mole, man? <laughs> his mole. Jim Carrey even puts on a fake mole to be like Bruce Wayne. Mole, mole, mole. I don't know. I I don't remember thinking that they were different people. I didn't even question it. Um, but I I remember like really enjoying this movie. 
Um, I remember hating the video game for Batman Forever because it was so incredibly difficult. Yes. I yeah. loved... It's like the Bugs Life game. Oh, my goodness. Too much. The, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about the games on a, a, yeah. a different podcast. Uh, but the... I remember really enjoying this movie, but watching it this time, I have to say that this movie, in its own merit, is just nothing short of sheer spectacle. Like, and, and this is how I knew, and it's very subtle... But when Robin bursts through on his motorcycle and he leaves an imprint of the Robin logo right behind him, and I was like, oh, we're in this movie. And I don't know about you guys, but when I drive my Toyota Camry through a wall, I leave the Toyota logo behind me. So that sounds very realistic. It happens all the time. That's a feature. It's a feature of the car. Yeah, that's good. It comes standard in all vehicles. Uh, But like when that happened, I'm like, okay, like... We, we are in this kind of uh, larger-than-life spectacle, like, literally driving cars on giant, like, statue fixtures. I'm like, okay, like, they're telling us right up front, this is basically Lego Movie Batman, where a kid is just imagining, yeah, the Batman chases the bad guy on, like, my mom's, like, antique sculpture of a, like, it just feels like it's just born from the mind of a child. I think if we didn't have this movie, we wouldn't have any of the other movies that came after it. And I say, like, the the X-Men, the Spider-Man. Like, I feel like this genre mm-hmm. of Batman, very much like the Adam West Batman, because, um, uh, and, I, and I can't take full credit for this, uh, NerdSync made a really cool video talking about this in the legacy of Adam West. You had, like, this sheer spectacle of the Adam West Batman. And it was like, Super campy, super over the top. To the point that, um, I forget the guy's name, but this guy's like, no, we need to buy the rights to Batman and do him right. And we got the Tim Burton Batman because of the sheer spectacle. It's a complete contrast, a complete opposite of what the Adam West Batman was. And it kind of evolved back into itself. It, like, it was this darker version. It was really fun, but then it kind of became campy again. And then we got Batman Begins. And so I feel like it's only a matter of time before we get another semi-campy Batman. And maybe Lego Batman is that version uh, until we get, like, a reboot of the franchise. Because I think that Batman is so uh, versatile as a property that it can be very dark and serious. And also, you know, Batman and Robin. Like, very campy, very bright. um, And still be entertaining. Because I... There were very few scenes that I could find that I was like, this is, this is bad. Like, everything fit together. Like, they, they knew what they were doing. Everything, did, nothing really felt too out of place. It's just like, oh, no, this is just a sheer spectacle of a movie. And they are imagining this, like, tonally as if it were just a live action, um, you know, modern day Adam West Batman. In terms of a course correction, I think you're absolutely right. And we've seen this probably three or four times even within like the Bond franchise, which has been around longer. So you'll go from like Diamonds Are Forever, which is like, like jumps the shark. It's wacky. Car wheel turns on two wheel turns. And then you come back with like Live and Let Die. Like you go Moonraker and For Your Eyes Only, Octopussy of You to a Kill and all that stuff's pretty like outlandish. Then you bring in Dalton with like the Living Daylights and it's really serious. Same thing. Die another day. It's out, it's absolutely outlandish. You got an invisible car in an ice palace and stuff like that. People will say, No, I don't like that. And then the next thing you know, Daniel Craig comes in. And so 
I think you're right. You don't get through the Christopher Nolan Batman series without people reviling this. And we got to hear because of parents' complaints. Burton's movies, p- parents complained. They said, this is too dark. This is too scary. The Joker scares my children. The Penguin scares my children. We didn't. I was four years old. I was in the theater and like eating it up every minute. And I, I, my parents aren't bad parents. I mean, um, I mean, kids like to be scared as long as good prevails over evil. I mean, it's not such a bad thing. But they, they, Hollywood was listening to what the parents were saying. It's, it's too violent. It's too dark. It's too mean spirited. And that's not what I want. And so Batman Forever might have hit the medium that parents and Hollywood were willing to do. And Jim Carrey might have been the man for the job to put it all in a package. But then. When you steer deeper into that, saying the toy manufacturers, like you, you were saying, Grayson, sell yeah. as many toys as you can, make as many vehicles as you can to put as many toys in this thing, and make it as lower that age as much as you possibly can. I mean, it still carried a PG-13 rating, but it doesn't feel like it. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, would, I would take, you know, the Penguin scares my children, the Joker scares my children, over uh, the Joker scares his castmates any day, <laughs> which is kind of what we landed on. So, um, yeah, I, I can see how the, the parental influence, especially since they're the ones buying the toys, right. how we could see this would you know get to this point. I love your point about James Bond, and I know, Ricky, this will resonate with you with Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. it, it really is the interpretation of that lead I think plus the time period in which the the movies are being released. Yeah. And so Clooney at 97, yeah, this makes sense. Um even I feel like since it was panned in the moment, like at the time, they just got the timing off. Um but for me being able to watch it in 2019 knowing everything we know now, uh, it was a much different yet still enjoyable experience. Even though it is campy, I feel like they go deeper on Batman's character um, from the perspective of him really coming to terms with what it means to be part of a team and what would happen if Alfred died and he wasn't there anymore. Like, that wasn't really something they had explored as much as... Uh, uh, as they did in this film. So um, there were things that I think they leaned into that were a little uh, deeper, but yeah, obviously uh, it is, it is camp town USA uh, as far as the, the comedy and the aesthetic of it all. Even now um, people are looking back at the uh, early 2000s Spider-Man and saying, Oh yeah, that movie was so cheesy. I'm like, no, that movie was art. That art. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man one and two, especially Spider-Man two was just like, I, I remember walking out of the theaters of Spider-Man 2 and thinking, are we allowed to have movies be this good? Like, do, do <laughs> like, is this even fair for other movies? Like, I just remember loving it. And I think... Ricky's like, I can't wait to see what they do in Spider-Man 3. <laughs> Spider-Man 3 is good. They be- can't fail. <laughs> they can't stop it. And they didn't. Uh, but the, uh, I think as time goes on, we're always going to look back at the movies of yesteryear and look at it like... With, I think the, the term is like with the arrogance of the future, thinking like, oh, yeah, this movie was so bad. But um, we have to look at it through the lens of the time period as well to appreciate it for what it is. Man, and let me just say, I mean, I feel like I could talk for an entire hour just about Uma Thurman's uh, performance. My goodness, her lines alone got the PG-13 rating and I did not pick up on any of her lines or any of her innuendos as a kid. Don't worry, mm-hmm. they cut the scene where Bane and uh, Poison Ivy ordered a pizza and they couldn't pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very, that, that is a genre breaker. That's, yeah, that, that'll do it. 
the the thing about Clooney though that even didn't go down for me that well at the time though is whoever's playing Batman has to be mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne in public, Bruce Wayne with Alfred back at home. So like mm-hmm. you have to be like there's like a sadness and a pain in you, and then there's yeah. also some warmth with like Alfred and stuff like that. But then also you've got to be Batman. You got to be scary. You got to be intimidating to to thwart evil, and. George Clooney is George Clooney. It's the same George Clooney from the Nespresso commercials where he just walks around, I'm George Clooney. I'm cool. <laughs> that, that is the issue of being like, I, this movie, more than any of the others, you would look at Bruce Wayne and be like, oh, well, that's Batman because he looks and sounds like Batman, right? Uh, yeah, the secret identity doesn't really uh, work as well. Uh, there's no gravel voice. There's no, uh, yeah, really just the gravel voice. It's like, hello, Freeze. I'm George Clooney. Well, I did pause it when he whipped out the credit card to make sure that it wasn't the bat symbol and then just said Bruce Wayne at the bottom. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. Michael Goff's performance as Alfred is maybe his best in the series. Yes. Um, he's pretty underutilized for the most part in the other three films. But in this one, even from his first shot, I put in my notes, something's up with Alfred. Because uh, you can tell that, okay, we're going to go on this journey with him that... It's uh, an Alfred being ready to retire and pass it on, which is not really something we've explored as much. Definitely not in the Gotham series because he's just kind of coming to his own, certainly not in Pennyworth. Um, But in this, uh, I felt like we were getting closer to like a Michael Caine type Alfred who has bared the burden of this for so long and just feels like he's kind of failed at every turn especially when he looks at bruce wayne not being able to take you know robin in take dick grayson in and being like have i have i failed him in some ways and so um i do feel like michael goff is the 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 shining uh the shining bright light in all of uh this movie and um i I would have loved to see even more from him in this the seventh Um, build butler is definitely the high point of the movie (laughs) yeah like at one point in time when Warner was walking in with uh, you know that big giant ice machine that he had, I was really hoping that he said, "This is my ice cannon." Ice cannon. <laughs> ice cannon is a part of the show where we share with you unique ideas and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. Um, it's usually called head cannon, but we're gonna fit in that frozen tie-in as often as we can. Pun. Um, yep. So. Uh, Russell, you're our guest. Uh, what is your headcanon for this movie? So in, with Grayson saying, I'm going to connect this back into the uh, Tim Burton world here. So you've got Max Shrek, who's played by Christopher Walken, who's also in the dead zone. And after Catwoman shocks him, thus killing him, not killing him, he goes into a coma. And he, and he wakes back up with the ability to see people's uh, troubles in the future. And so he goes to the mayor, and he shakes hands with him. And he says, you got to pass... Real stringent zoning codes. And the mayor's like, why? Because if you don't, the whole downtown Gotham's going to look like a methed-out nightclub in downtown Tokyo with giant <laughs> statues and icicles and colorful lights. My God. And then uh, so he goes to Catwoman, and he shakes hands with her. And uh, he's like, you, you can't do this anymore. You're going to be the laughing stock of the whole world in 2004. I mean, you think dying another day looks bad. People are going to take away your Oscars. So, uh, and then he goes to Bruce Wayne and uh, he's like, it's not too late. You can stop yourself from becoming an arrogant, lifeless cardboard cutout of yourself. People don't like Bruce Wayne in 1997. No, 
what about Batman? Even worse. You're going to have too much time on your hands after beating the Penguin. You're going to have to put nipples on your bat suit. Don't. It's a bad idea. <laughs> oh. And then uh, one, one last one. He's going to shake Dick Grayson's hand. And he goes, uh, there's a terrible tragedy in your future. Is it my parents? Yes, there's that. But it's worse for you. Your fourth film's so bad, you're going to be glad your parents aren't around to see it anymore. Wait, what? What about my family? <laughs> oh, I love that. That is by far the best walk-in, walk-on we've ever had on the show. Ever. Oh, man. Uh, that is beautiful headcanon. Oh, man. Uh, I think, I mean, I mean, who's going to top that? It's so good. Uh, I, so here's my, bi- my biggest piece of headcanon. Um, and I think we might have said something similar when we were reviewing the other uh, Batman, um, the 1989 Batman and then Batman Returns. Um, I, I think the headcanon is that this era of Batman is actually somewhat of a post-apocalyptic uh movie after the bat the after the dark knight trilogy um mm. and so i'm going to kind of continue that a little bit um and that um but in reverse that it continues itself since this is the last time that we see uh this era of batman um it actually does reset itself and that alfred still reached out to his brother um to take on the role and his brother uh, is Michael Caine. Uh, and Michael Caine basically oh. did... They, or maybe they just, like, got, you know, yeah, no. the wrong the wrong people, or I don't know. But basically, it all just... History re- resets itself. Um, and he becomes the new Alfred Pennyworth and a new young... Because they're rebuilding the city... You know, I mean, yes, they unthawed the people, but that kind of damage is almost irreversible, I, I think. You know, steel, I don't know. Don't think too much about it. But anyway, basically, like, they do have to rebuild the city, and George Clooney becomes the new, um, what's, what's it, uh, Joe Wayne? Um, what's Bruce Wayne's dad's name? It's Joe, right? Thomas? Thomas. The new Thomas, Thomas Wayne. Joe Wayne. That's his distant cousin. <laughs> it's well, me, we your cousin. His mom's name is Martha. My Joe what? and Martha Wayne. <laughs> uh, tale as old as time. But he basically becomes a new Thomas Wayne. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And just because he's like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop being Bruce. I'm going to be Thomas after my father. And then he does actually start a family. And then mm-hmm. history repeats itself. And then... Uh, Michael Caine becomes the new um, Alfred, and then he raises a young Christian Bale. Oh, nice. Yeah. Your headcanon actually helps my headcanon, Ricky, because similarly to, like, the brother taking over uh, for Alfred, I think it's a Bosley situation yeah. uh, that we established last week. Yeah, it's a family thing. Um, my headcanon was that Barbara is secretly uh, auditioning for Charlie's Angels. Uh, I maybe think of it during the motorcycle race because I, you know, I also watched Full Throttle. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at it, uh, she she has a very specific marking on her helmet that's never really a, like explained. So Robin shows up to that race and he uh-huh. has the Robin on his helmet. On her helmet, she's got an angel, yeah. and I think that's just that. She's on her way to becoming recruited into the organization, or maybe she would have been if she hadn't become Batgirl. Um, 
the uh, the other headcanon that I had with this, though, is that I thought it was overly convenient at first that Alfred has the exact same disease, McGregor syndrome, as Nora Freeze. So um, I was like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's easy. But what if there is an actual justification for why this is happening? Uh-huh. My headcanon is that there are instances of McGregor syndrome breaking out all over Gotham due to the exposure of Smilex, the, the Joker vent, uh, vapor from the earlier movies, it's just now is starting to create more of this lung-based carcinogen, this, this McGregor's disease. So if that's the case, and there are more and more of this, and Mr. Freeze developed the, the antidote to it, it really means that Mr. Freeze is the hero of this movie. And, I mean, he ultimately defeats Poison Ivy uh, off screen in the cell. Um, and Alfred would have died without him. So I think it actually makes sense that Schwarzenegger is top build and highest <laughs> up on the poster uh, because he is the true hero of Gotham, um, the one it didn't even know it needed. Grayson, when you said that Mr. Freeze is the hero of Gotham, I'm disappointed to see that there wasn't an upgraded model of suit for a T-2000 that came back in time that <laughs> yeah. then Mr. Freeze then has to fight. I I would love to see that movie. I, yeah, Dark Knight, Dark Fate. Yeah, I think we could make that happen. All right, now we're going to go to the part of the show where we like to talk about recasts and remakes. Recast or remake. If this movie were to be remade today, who would you cast and what would the storyline be? And we're going to start with our guest, Russell. Well, I do like my Batman to be on the darker side of things. So uh, Michael Keaton it definitely makes me happy. Christian Bale makes me happy. So I'm going to cast Michael Fassbender. As my Batman. Ooh, that is good cast. Perfection. Fastbender Batman, yeah. I really would like to go younger on Robin, so I struggle on this one, but uh, I'm going to probably just say, get him from a couple years back. Ansel Elgort will be my Robin. Nice. So from Baby Driver. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He'd be a um, great Robin. Sure. And uh, similarly, Batgirl, I want, I want younger people on this one. It's a little pet peeve of mine whenever you get teenagers that are played by people who are like 28 <laughs> years old. So... Mm. Uh, I'm struggling on this one as well, um, probably more so. And because I saw Kick-Ass recently, I can't get the Chloe Grace Moretz out of my head for playing Hit Girl as yeah. Batgirl. So yeah. um, uh, I realize I hit a different note on that one, but uh, oh well. And uh, Poison Ivy, I'm going to go with Scarlett Johansson because she would be quite seductive and luring mm-hmm. people in, uh, as she does with, uh, uh, let's see. What's that really cool science fiction movie? Um, Her? No. No, 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 no. The, uh, Under the Skin. Under the yeah. Skin. Okay. Under. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Under the Skin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So she's she's, she's quite a seductress in that, at luring people into their fate. So I'm, I'm going with mm-hmm. her on Poison Ivy. And then uh, with Mr. Freeze, I want, I want somebody intense here. Uh, I want Ben Barnes from uh, the Punisher series. Oh, yeah. Oh, he'd do so yeah. good. I can't. I can't recast Alfred. Uh, we're still going to keep Michael Goth in it to this day. We're gonna. We're gonna keep him yeah. in there. Um, all right. For mine, uh, just because I because I watched Jack Ryan season two recently. Uh, John Krasinski as Batman. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, but I love that. I love the Fassbender casting. Um, for Robin, I had Timothy Chalamet from Call Me by Your Name and uh, The King just came out. Uh, he looks little. He's young. Um, and then for Mister Freeze, I, I tried to think of someone that. I was like, hmm, bald guy using science to make blue stuff, Brian Cranston. He can handle it. Um, he would be great. For Poison Ivy, Christina Hendricks uh, for Ooh, Mad Men. I like that. 
Yeah, I think she would be really, really strong in that. And for Batgirl, I ran into a, a similar age issue, but I would like to see a version of Batgirl then, if, if this was like a separate recasting, separate remake, where it's more like she's been doing it for several years, maybe joining like the, the, the Batfleck kind of universe where Robin's been killed off and whatnot. I think Kristen Bell would be really strong. Uh, oh, yeah. I think, uh, yeah. I think she, because she'd also bring humor to it and uh, kind of that chip on her shoulder vibe. I think she'd be great. Uh, and then for Alfred. Could you have her tell Freeze to just let it just, go? <laughs> that, maybe that's what it was. Maybe that's what I was tapping into. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah! Uh, that's great. And then uh, for Alfred, I had Mr. Carson from Downton Abbey because. We know we can do it. We know we can do it. Um, but yeah, I think for an entire um, remake, though, we've seen Batman properties in so many different styles. Uh, I mean, obviously varied tones from Burton to Schumacher, Nolan, uh, even the Lego Batman being all animated. Like we've just seen so many different versions. I would like to see, similar to the Nolan approach, where we see how these these two Super villains, particularly uh, plus Bane, I guess. So two, two and a half, three. Mm-hmm. Uh, how they would exist in a realistic world, but repackage the entire story like a documentary about Wayne Enterprises uh, and interviewing some of the the biggest uh, movers and shakers from conservation and climate change research with Dr. Victor Fries and Dr. Pamela Isley. And kind of see how these, like, how they could fight this on the political battlefield. I think it'd be an interesting exercise for a short, mostly. And then for the obligatory British uh, documentary narrator, you just get Alfred to do it. And that's how you fit Alfred into that nice. crazy idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was like, there seems to be like a lot of global implications to what the goals of these villains are. Um, how could we explore that, like, from a more real perspective? So, uh, yeah documentary batman i like it like it no that's great my uh my recast i'm I'm just gonna pull from a couple of different franchises that um due to the newly acquired um you know fox from disney i'm sure a lot of people are going to be available uh so uh for batgirl i actually want to go with um uh x phoenix herself so i i love sophie turner uh to play batgirl uh, I think that she would do great, especially if we did go with like a younger Batgirl. For Batman, I want to get the Daredevil, um, Mr. Uh, Charlie Cox himself, oh, just because sonar. I know. Love yeah. It. So good. Yeah. Yeah. And by that same uh, kind of casting, I think uh, Deborah Ann Wall, uh, who played Karen, would also do a really good Poison Ivy. Um, oh, hmm. nice. Um, and then. Uh, <laughs> While I'm there, Vincent D'Onofrio, um, as of course Mr. Freeze, but he has such great range, I want him to also play Alfred uh, for no explainable reason. Oh, what oh, a confusing okay. choice. Oh, okay. I, I was going to say, I thought you were going to say he was going to have weaponized raptors from like, like the new Jurassic World with him. I, no, I, we I have, went a whole other direction with that. No, we have to build the franchise out. That's for, you know, movie six or seven. All right, now we're going to go into our final segment where we give you our reasons to recommend. So, uh, Russell, why would you recommend the 1997 Batman and Robin? It is still the only on-screen performance from Mr. Freeze and uh, Poison Ivy, and Mm -hmm. you should complete the set. 
it's it's one of those things where I mean, you probably do realize there's diminishing returns in Batman Forever, and but I mean, why stop there? I mean, you should keep going. So, uh, as you guys mentioned, you're not going to get to the uh, Dark Knight trilogy without this. So, um, you know, I still watch Moonraker and Die Another Day, and I still watch this one too. And it's okay to jump the shark sometimes. Grayson, why are our guests always better at giving concise and simple <laughs> reasons than us? We should take note. We really should. Well done. Uh, well said. Brevity is not our strong suit. <laughs> so I recommend uh, Batman, Ampersand, Robin, um, because it really does deal with some heavy uh, subject matter in, in an extremely playful way. Uh, and I understand the balance they were going for, whether or not audiences decide that it worked. I understand the intent behind it. Um, and it really is a rare opportunity where Batman learns and grows from his mistake. Um, his mistakes being that he only needs himself, that he's isolated, that he doesn't have to he doesn't have to work with others. And I, I just wrote down some of the dialogue here from his conversation with Alfred. Uh, when he asks him, is it always my way or the highway? And and Alfred says, why, yes, actually, death and chance stole your parents. But rather than become a victim, you have done everything in your power to control the fates. For what is Batman if not an effort to master the chaos that sweeps our world and attempt to control death itself? And it's such a beautiful moment. And for if for no other reason, I recommend this movie for moments like that between... You know, Bruce Wayne, the the orphan child raised by his butler and his caretaker, really taking that to heart and being like, you are my responsibility. I don't think we'll get back to this kind of relationship until Dark Knight Rises, where he's saying, it's my job to take care of you. And if I failed at that, like I, I, I see seeds of that moment in this movie. And so um, that to me has always been one of the more interesting relationships, even in the Gotham series. That's some of my favorite moments is between Bruce Wayne and Alfred Pennyworth. And I, I just, uh, there's a lot of elements to this movie, a lot of aspects that can be critiqued, but that to me is the heart of the film. And uh, ultimately it just has a lot of growth and um, I'm not just talking about the plans. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that's why I, I recommend uh, Batman and Robin. Oh, and one other reason um, it, that you... So when you watch Batman and Robin, you're going to get one thing from this movie that you absolutely cannot get from any other film. And that's the line, well, I don't suppose they have fax machines on elephants. <laughs> um, so, yeah, watch this movie to hear that line in context. Because <laughs> you need the context. I, I will do my best to be uh, as brief as Russell. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, Batman and Robin is a really interesting uh, case study on the superhero genre as a whole, I believe. Um, for better or for worse, I will say they don't make they don't make them like they used to. Uh, this kind of superhero movie is just a sheer, like over the top colorful spectacle. Of it's, It almost feels like I'm watching, like, a live stage show production of Cirque du Soleil Batman. Like, it almost feels like that uh, in the big fight scene sets and everything like that. So it's it's really a ton of fun. Um, and it, it's, it's really fun to watch this movie 
uh, as a contrast to what we do know Batman to be capable of being, which is uh, darker, rooted more in our real world. But Batman can also be uh, a more escapist, larger-than-life hero in a world where you have people who make ice suits um, and can control vines and other, you know, other crazy things that can only really exist in the world of comic books. So uh, I think it is, uh, it's still fun for me. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And if you haven't looked at it um, since 1997, um, watch Space Jam again and understand that this movie had to follow up Space Jam. So they had to be more over the top than that. Uh, It was was a hard time for everyone. Really, everyone had to struggle. And that is our review of Batman ampersand Robin. Let us know what you remember about Batman and Robin on our social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at FlashbackFlicks. And a huge shout-out to Russell from the Retro Movie Roundtable. Russell, where can they find you on the internet? Well, thank you. Retro Movie Roundtable is available at iTunes, uh, or Apple Podcasts, I should say, and uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, all the normal favorites are out there. And then you can engage with us on Facebook by giving us a like on Facebook, and uh, hopefully you'll be able to hear uh, Ricky and Grayson some more in the future on Retro Movie Roundtable at some point. Absolutely. We are really looking forward to it. And thank you so much for reaching out to us and making this collaboration happen. And again, thank you so much for being willing to watch Batman and Robin for our very loosely uh, themed episode. Uh, it was a sick Sunday, but it, uh, it brightened my day up. So uh, I'm, uh, I hope to come back someday and be in better health. Absolutely. Love to have you back. And I think to tackle something as big as Batman and Robin, we really needed all three of us. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we needed... I'll be Batgirl in this situation. Oh, I was uh, going to call back. It's fine. I'll be Alfred. But it's going to okay. be okay because we're going to retitle the movie Batman and Robin <laughs> and Batgirl. <laughs> and Batgirl. Because everybody can, everybody matters. Yeah. Everyone. Needs to happen. And be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind. Next time on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. We are dusting off our bobsleds and taking a trip over to the Retro Movie Roundtable to review Cool Runnings. So make sure that you head over to the Retro Movie Roundtable where you can hear our review of Cool Runnings. It's going to be more fun than a bobsled. Team. Bobsled team. That's the fun thing. Not the bobsled. I don't know. I've never bobsled.